Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now a reading from Matthew 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its, in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And now, having heard our gospel text, we take a moment to pause and to open ourselves to God, ourselves, and each other. This is a moment to make it holy. And the way we make a moment holy is by showing up, paying attention, and sort of focusing in. And so whatever you bring into this moment, lots of faith or doubt, fear or courage, bring your full self to this moment, and let's open ourselves to God. God, help us in this moment as we reflect on this text for our time. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We live in a moment of polarization. There's a kind of gravitational pull in the air. It seems to pull us to the extreme side of an idea or a community. That we're polarized as a country, very few debate. Why we're polarized is a much more difficult question. You know, polarization is the process of firmly dividing a community or an issue into two clear and clean sides and then exerting social influence that forces people or groups to move clearly and decisively to one side or the other. Now, why is polarization so attractive to us? Or to put it a different way, why do most of us seem to be seduced into it so easily? 
Well, one reason neuroscience offers is that our brains are wired this way. We're naturally drawn to distinctions and to categories. It helps us move through the world while conserving energy. We recognize patterns and variations uh, on the pattern, and we can quickly and decisively move through the world with little nuanced analysis. In fact, we reserve our energy, it seems, for those who resemble us most. And we're quite unwilling to spend that energy with those who are different. This is called outgroup homogeneity bias. We tend to conserve our social energy toward outgroups by lumping them together and not taking the time to carefully observe or distinguish with fine brushstrokes the differences and nuances out there. But in here, with my people, with my race, with my gender, with my sexuality, with my religion, with my personality or nationality or with my political party, I have much more bandwidth to see nuance and difference. You know, to many in the world, if you wear a necktie, you are a Christian. That's out-group homogeneity at work. To many in the Western world, if you wear Muslim garb, you might be a terrorist. That's out-group homogeneity at work. Right? To bring it a little closer to home, if when you see rioting, you think, Oh, that's sad. There's a few bad apples among the protesters, but it's largely a noble endeavor. You're spending energy making careful distinctions within your group. If, when you look at a video clip of police brutality, you say to yourself, oh, that's sad. There are a few bad apples among law enforcement, but it's a largely noble endeavor. You're spending energy making careful distinctions within your group. But if I were to switch things around, it would work just as easily. We tend to paint our opponent or the outgroup with large and wide brushstrokes, and we reserve the finer instruments for those clearer and closer to our social location. With the election season approaching quickly, I think it's important for us to get ahead of these polarizing dynamics while we can, to sort of prepare ourselves and discipline ourselves not to get caught up in the polarizing habits, which are nice because they save us energy, and instead, we learn how to spend energy among different people and groups. Jesus' parables in Matthew 13, they speak powerfully to this experience of polarization. From the parable of the sower, who generously flicks seed on every terrain, to the one about the wheat in the weeds, that despite our instinct to sort of weed out what we think is dangerous or what we think is threatening, we're admonished to let them grow together or to our parables today of the small mustard seed or the little bit of yeast that each attain, however slowly, significant influence, or the laser focus and energy spent on the treasure or the pearl, or the courage required to keep the dragnet out and open even when you know that there'll be some junk caught in the process. These parables collectively have something powerful to teach us in this polarizing moment, and I begin with uncommon patience. Changing our mind and personal growth and development, it just simply takes time. And there's a patience required to face the mix of clean and unclean, pure and impure, good and evil in every person and in every institution. If we short circuit this patience, we short circuit the possibility of change and of transformation. We rush to judgment. We're hasty to bring everything into alignment. We're tempted to cheap virtue signaling rather than deep inner work. 
and we do damage in the process. You know, we pull up the wheat with the weeds, or we throw away the chance at a good catch because we're too afraid of the threat of the bad. Jesus had tremendous patience with people. Nicodemus goes through these three stages before he finally comes to support and follow Christ. Judas is in Jesus' inner ring until the very end. The Syrophoenician woman, her cries eventually land and alter Jesus' trajectory. And his lead disciple is allowed to fail and fail miserably on multiple fronts. If we will resist polarization's temptation to swiftness and expediency and clarity, we must develop an appetite for patience. We all get the idea of small and uh, to large and the time that it takes. But we often miss an important part of Jesus' tone here because of the cultural distance with the mustard seed and the yeast. For example, did you know that the mustard seed planted here is the same as the weed planted in the previous story? Did you know that leaven was a symbol for sin and evil in the Jewish imagination? Jesus chooses these images on purpose to turn the imagination upside down, right? The clean, the unclean, the outsider, the impure by your standards are where the kingdom of God is at. The challenge to those on the fringes is to see themselves as yeast, right? The undesirable mustard shrub who is supposed to be kept away from the field and instead they see their lives through the parable as a vital component of the community. For those who are firmly on the inside, the challenge is to summons us to change, a change of attitude, where we consider the corrupt uh, in a different light. We begin to see them as an active ingredient for the growth of the community. But we also need new priorities. The parables of pearl and treasure show us that when we have vision, we'll spend unlimited energy going after that prize. But we have to have vision. One reason that Jesus got in trouble with the religious and political leaders is because his vision threatened their clean lines and boundaries. He muddied the waters with his social engagement, and it forced people to think critically within and generously beyond, and that threatens the status quo. It always does this because our survival instincts love clear lines, we love clear heroes, and clear senses of righteousness. The vision of the Pharisees and the scribes dominated the Jewish imagination. It worked for many people, but there were so many casualties. That vision, uh, which created those casualties, it gripped Jesus. The lepers and the lame, right? The prostitutes and the tax collectors, the women and the slaves and the soldiers, the Gentiles and the eunuchs. Jesus' heart broke for them. And Jesus' vision of inclusion and liberation that showed no distinction or discrimination, right? His vision of a just society where heavy burdens are lifted and paralyzing debts are canceled. That vision, which he and his, later his disciples took on, was one that opposed the mindset of the political and religious leaders. It was one of radical generosity and, conclusion, and, and inclusion. What we need now is a new vision. We gotta get out of our lazy habits, a, pairing our opponents as outsiders and painting them with wide brushstrokes, condemning them. And instead, we need to draw in and draw close, grow curious and empathetic, to grow respectful toward those who are different. Jonathan Haidt says, it's only a sense of respect that opens us up to someone else. If we sense disdain or self-righteousness, we almost always close off and defend. 
to see the kingdom of God, the dream of God in this polarizing moment, we need to shift our energy away from judgment and condemnation and instead move it toward building relationships of respect and mutuality with those beyond our social borders. And this is hard. It requires energy. But Jesus shows us that it's worth dropping everything to do. People will think you're crazy. They'll think you're wasting your time. But you know something they don't, right? You put your money on the field because you know something is under the surface waiting to be discovered. Finally, this polarizing moment needs the courage to suspend judgment. We have an imperfect mix of things in this world. The only way to experience healing and liberation is to patiently move through it. It gives us pause to swift judgments, uh, to self or group righteousness, and it creates space for critical introspection, right? the kind of work that we're least likely to do because it's so costly and our transformation is stunted because of it. There is room for all of us in this world. In church, there's room for the white-hot, burning spiritual types who are on a deep quest. And there's room for people just looking for a nice church in which to get married. There's room for those of us who are conservative and those of us who are progressive. There's room for the poor and for the rich. There's room for political conservatives and liberals. There's room for queer and straight. There's room for people who have lots of convictions and for people who have lots of doubts. We aren't creating a community here of incompatibilists who sort of divide when they disagree. We're creating a community of courageous compatibilists who spend energy on the threshold of difference, who sow seeds of relationship across the aisle and who normalize the presence of weeds or bad fish, but keep the net open because they know that God is revealed in conflictive moments, not just in the resolutions. They know that the kingdom of God will come often slowly and surprisingly, so we'd better adjust to its pace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.